welcome to the Twin Geek Cast 140. We've made the big 140 and we're uh, coming together for an unexpected episode as um, we're filled with uh, Halloween glee and uh, we've both seen a new movie. Yeah, uh, this was kind of an unexpected get together here, I guess. Um, we, we just kind of felt like talking about it and hanging out again. I know we just said that we'd be back in a while with new plans <laughs> and we will be, but uh, we've got some thoughts on a film uh, that I went and saw for once, but also just wanted to chat, hang out, talk yeah. about Halloween some more. Really, we just wanted to hang out, and that's what the podcast will be, um, regardless of a new direction. But I, I think we're both excited about our, our new direction. Yeah. Um, are I, we going to announce it? Is it going to just happen? Is uh, this where we talk about it? Do Do we announce it? I don't know. I feel like we still got some some things to work out, some some uh, parts of it to kind of better realize, and then you know we uh, we got another idea coming up for December as well. I think we could say like it'll be for sure the new thing in in the new year. I don't know. I don't want to say too much though because I also feel like we're overhyping it. It's really going to be very similar still. <laughs> it's I just... still want to hype it. I don't want anyone to be worried about the direction of the show. Yeah, if you listen to it. That's a one another reason I wanted to record to uh, calm any feeling that we were just going to make a totally new thing. Yeah, this is actually mostly for Stephen uh, who who said he's worried. <laughs> So, Stephen, uh, this is a whole episodes uh, just to assure you that it's going to be okay. It's still going to be is, here. Uh, it's still going to uh, be Stephen. It'll be okay. Episode um, to our to our ten listeners that we have. <laughs> it'll be fine. Uh, yeah. And it, yeah. Um, it should be. I do want to hype it. I do think it's exciting. I, uh, I think what it was is, I guess we could say is that it was important for us to find a direction that we could you know, grow together in our interests on, you know, in, in some ways you and I have l lost a little bit of like the same connection, not entirely, of course, but like something to, you know, bond with more strongly together. And we just need to kind of reorient ourselves there. That's really what this all is. I mean, we're very close friends already. I mean, you're one of the closest people, someone I talk to every day. So uh, it's important to me that we keep cultivating the podcast in the direction our relationship and friendships growing too. Yeah, especially as the podcast and the website itself continues to branch out further and further. Uh, yeah, it's just a matter of, you know, finding that that direction again and, and kind of solidifying what we wanted to be even more so. Yeah, and we have uh, several new shows, some of them covering some of the ground that we cover on this show. So check out I'm Thinking of Spoiling Things for new movie takes and uh, we're not necessarily only covering old movies when we come back, but we'll get to yeah. exactly the format. We're still ironing out parts of the format. So. Yeah, but I guess this episode will kind of be like a, an interesting, uh, you know, bow Rich. on that because we yeah. are we are covering a new film for <laughs> once. Uh, I guess we covered another new one while you were gone. We covered the Muppet movie. Um, um, I still have a whole list of things I'm going to hold you to, like uh, eventually an under the skin episode i think we have a new way that we could approach that so uh, yeah yeah that's probably um, possible probably in one show uh, uh but we won't <laughs> say more about that uh, until um i guess we'll announce it in our first show next month uh, i think murph and steven might come on for an episode in between but uh 
maybe they talked yeah. about it but i don't know if they were entirely serious but yeah. if they are we'll hash that out <laughs> yeah i'd love there's to still, hear it <laughs> there's still lots of planning to do for all of this stuff uh <laughs> which is why it sounds a little half-baked and why we haven't said specifically what it is but it's coming don't worry about and, it and it's really exciting i mean for us to do something new with the podcast and make it you know less of a general conversation and have a more pointed specific direction for where the shows go and how someone could follow it. And I mean, someone could really watch along with us with our new plan and, and follow I, a direction. So. I, yeah. Which I think is something we tried to move towards in, in general. Uh, you know, when we started like announcing what the next episodes would be and whatnot, but I think this will even help create that uh, e even better and it will just bring more value to the show as well. I think we'll be doing something just of, of, of more interest to everyone, not just ourselves. Uh, Twin Geeks Build Back Better is our new <laughs> site slogan, which slogan. we're changing to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it'll be good. Um, and we have uh, other new shows on the on the website. We have a new music podcast. So uh, there's yeah, a lot of other things to dive into during our break. You just put up your new music podcast. Uh, to, today was the first one? Yeah, yeah. Today's the first one on um, A Tribe Called Quest, and we're working hard on the next one. So there's a lot of stuff still coming. Um, and I'll still be reviewing all the new movies along with Vaughn and Steven, who have taken a lot of that. So them taking other things, too, gives us a lot of space to uh, reformulate, try, try something new, work a little harder on the show. Uh, yeah. having that help helps me work on this a little bit differently yeah it just a, it, it gives us the freedom to do something different while still doing what we want to do uh yeah and i hope we can kind of refine it even more as we get closer to uh you know kicking it off yeah and um we'll still have spaces for special guests and we'll probably Absolutely. launch with one in december so very exciting. Uh, we still have to talk to them, so there's a lot to confirm and, and to do on the site. But uh, um, besides that maintenance and janitorial update of the of the podcast in its own direction, we didn't talk at all for the first year about our Halloween traditions and what we're doing. So I, I felt really the onus is on us to come back and at least talk about a. Uh, we didn't rank the candy for the first time in years, and mm -hmm. um, we didn't talk about like you know the the natural tradition of Halloween the way we usually do. Uh, so I thought I thought we had to come back and at least do that. Yeah, I I think that's more than fair to do. This is kind of an interesting Halloween for me because uh, again I was I was a little behind on it. I spent a lot of time scrambling to get Halloween together this year. <laughs> uh, I had about like. Uh, <laughs> five days after I got back from vacation to make the house look Halloween-y. And it's also, that's the other thing, it's the new first first Halloween in a new house. So I wanted to both make an impression, but also didn't have the time necessarily to make it, you know, come. But uh, I did eventually, we, we did here, we've got the house all set up and we did lots of Halloweening while we were here, but I didn't do, you know, as much things like, uh, I didn't go out for Halloween necessarily. I didn't, yeah do a whole lot of dressing up. I threw on a silly hat uh, uh, last as night. As you usually do. I mean, as you're wearing now. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is <laughs> this is my, my giant nut, nutcracker hat. I'm already getting in the spirit of Christmas. Impressive. You can see, you're just... <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you put it on over your headphones because there's no way they'd fit above that giant, no, giant no, the, hat the you're headphones, wearing. The headphones wouldn't go down. They, they'd reach maybe the nutcracker's ears, but right. uh, not mine. I, uh... 
I know it takes a long time to build a 12 foot skeleton. I mean, just like <laughs> pragmatically, it must have taken, you know, at least a day to get this guy up, figure out where you want him. A lot it, of planning and it took a couple hours to assemble it for sure. So that so that <laughs> was fantastic as well. That that was the big achievement, I think, of this year's Halloween was we got the 12 foot Home Depot skeleton uh as a as a wedding gift i i guess like wedding slash housewarming again they, they kind of blended together but that was one of the things we got from asia's parents and that was great uh the, the first tr thing before even setting up because he he was just sitting in the garage for a little while uh unassembled and i was like i have to figure out a way to store him for the rest yeah. of the year like that was that was the biggest struggle i was thinking even before assembling him so I kind of had to get measurements of all the parts and find a container that was both big enough to contain the majority of him while also fitting in the attic space we have. Cause it's a small, like, you know, a little cut the, to get up into the attic space there. <laughs> so that, that was its own uh, dilemma, but I managed to get most of it. I think it's just his, uh, just his uh, chest and his head that aren't going to fit in the box. And then the base, <laughs> uh, the base won't even fit in the attic. It's just, it's too big. So yeah. I know when, when I came over, it was deconstructed on the table and it took up a, a large portion of your garage. Yeah. Fantastic to see. <laughs> but yeah, that he did also take a little while to set up, um, but he stands beautifully in front of the, the door right now. He's and, still up. It's yeah. November and... <laughs> I've only had a day. Uh, wow! I'm gonna I'm gonna see how long until the HOA sends us an angry letter. <laughs> did you get any down. pushback? I know you have new neighbors. Did Did you get any guff for doing that? No, no, no nothing. Nobody, nobody said anything bad about it. Uh, you know, they were all kind of like found it humorous. You know, any of the people <laughs> passing by. And well, eventually, I, I know at first I said that it was the only Halloween decoration in the entire neighborhood. Which was concerning, but eventually people started putting up some more stuff. You know, there's there's a couple neighbors how they, they've got their jack o' lanterns out. One neighbor has uh like a little graveyard in in the front, like it's a little like plot of dirt with some bones on it and stuff. Good. Yeah. Um. So I went trick or treating for the first time in twenty years. Uh, was this really Ezra's first year trick or treating? Well, kind of, right? I mean, I uh, last. Last year was kind of a no-go with COVID. And then right. the year before that was like the first year it was like valid to like take her out and go try that. And uh, that year we just uh, went around like a town center in Magnolia and uh, mm. did the shops and she was still kind of reticent. I mean, she still is. She's a very shy girl. So she's a, you know, she doesn't like walking up to strangers or doing those things. So it, it's interesting. It's changed so much. Like when I was a kid, we just had like, giant trash bags and went out for like five hours and just you know did the whole neighborhood and uh the people not doing it really were so few compared to like every other house was lit up and involved and uh there was an expectation it felt like in the neighborhood like a you had there was like a keeping up with the joneses like you had to hand out the candy and you didn't want to be the house that wasn't doing it right like there were a few like old people on our block who were retired and just weren't involved and that's it so some people say the the legends of trick or treat entail that the the trick part was a threat that if you didn't hand out candy, usually something bad would happen to your house. That's right. that was the whole premise of trick or treat to begin with. I mean, I'm sure we did 
some of that at some point, right? Like just like the basic like cliche toilet paper of the tree and you know, pretty easy stuff to fix. But uh I mean we never like uh really eggs. went out. Did you ever throw yeah. any eggs at a house? No, I didn't. Did you? Okay, that's that's good. No, it's terrorism. Yeah, I don't I don't I wouldn't want to make it unpleasant for someone. So yeah, I mean, I've done the, the toilet, the toilet paper. paper the toilet paper is one thing. Like, I think that's it's funny. Like, that's like, yeah, it's annoying. But like the eggs, that's like a whole mess. That's that seems like very unpleasant to have to deal with. I guess if the toilet paper got wet, that would kind of like make it in a similar kind of situation. But even then, I don't know. I would, I'd be more forgiving of toilet paper than eggs. I mean, it's pretty easy. You just grab it; it kind of falls apart. It's not like yeah, the egg cleanup. It could get you know smelly, messy, a little weird. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm in favor of kids still causing a little bit of uh ha- havoc that way, but uh, you know, I'm uh not seeing that like from the kids today. Like, uh, it seemed pretty reserved and kind of sad. Like the the people with their houses lit were very few, right? Like, uh, people were still mostly engaged. Like. When we went to their door, they were either apologetic or, you know, it was just a, a very strange feeling. Like, it seemed like some people didn't realize that Halloween was coming back either. Like, the COVID thing might have surprised them. We got out pretty early, so uh, we were pretty much everyone's first trick-or-treater, too. So, of course, you also just miss people who aren't there yet. And uh, we ended up doing more driving than walking. Like, we'd do, like, a stretch. And that because we're downtown, we're, like, we're near the downtown of Seattle and West Seattle, so... Uh, we just did, you know, stretches of houses where those are, which, you know, eventually you just run into a lot of complexes and apartments and you need to go for a drive again. And uh, I don't know, we did five or six blocks and she filled up a bucket. So uh, all's good in in Halloween land still. Um, I'm very happy to just be out with her, just see like the joy of her face just doing this thing that was so important to me. That's really great, and I'm I'm so glad that you're keeping that tradition alive. It does feel like Halloween is dying every year, and I I thought for sure that COVID last year was really going to kill it. So, you know, it feels the, like the, it's half dead. I mean, it yeah, it's, it's still here. It's been it's been dying a slow death. It feels like for years and years. Uh, probably even when when I was going, still it was probably still going down. Uh I don't know. I guess there's like a, a handful of things you can point to. People don't feel as comfortable around strangers even more than they did back in stranger danger days um you know just going out and you know like like less comfortable with the with the cities and such and just sending your kid out into the the world like yeah because like you said even for me you know like a generation behind uh we still went out and you know spent all night with no adult supervision you know yeah none friends (laughs) Going I mean, the town. that was every night for us. Like, uh, that Halloween wasn't like an irregular point. Like, we we just got our bikes and you know went four or five miles away, and we're just hanging out somewhere totally unsupervised every day. Yeah, um, yeah. I just I, I told my my parents where I was going, usually to to a friend's place, but then we kind of had free reign of the the town. But I was also in a small town growing up, so I don't know how much that had an impact on things. See, I, I think it might even still work in a small town. I think Halloween might be able to stay a little longer. I think in a city like Seattle, that's, uh, people have a lot more options of what they're going to do, and adults go out. Halloween's become kind of an adult holiday. So people go out to their parties. They're not home to give kids candies, or they're not engaged with kids because uh, people own more dogs than they have children in Seattle. So 
uh, I mean, there it's not like a, a kid culture either, like in a small town where there's a lot of families in the suburbs, you might be better off than, than we were, but, uh, cause we're in an apartment, we had to drive anyway. So I didn't mind doing five or six drives and throwing on werewolves in London every time I get in the car. And, uh, just, that's, that's, is that the best Halloween song? Maybe, maybe monster mash is better, but I think werewolves in London might be the best second place. I just, I just find it's a good vibe, right? Like I, I always liked it on Halloween. I always put it on right away. I know Monster Mesh is like the original, you know, like that's like when Halloween songs were really getting defined, but uh, really, really big on where right, it was. You, you, you got that great piano riff like throughout mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I, yeah. I love Werewolves London. It was just like the perfect amount of time in that song for me to drive from one place to another. So it was great. I just get in the car, press play, and then, you know, it was a good interlude between the houses. <laughs> and I mean, that's like now I'll always have that connection to like Ezra's first trick or treat, too. And, and uh, I remember very distinctly the first time we went, we got in the car and that came on uh, right as we were driving home and all the houses were lit up around us. And I was just like, oh, yeah, now I have like this connection to that song and her. And now she does the, you know, she's, like, <laughs> she's into it a little bit. Cute. That's cute. Yeah. It was all very cute. Um, there was a kid, we went up to one of the houses, the kid walked out with a briefcase. Uh, he was in a little suit. He was the boss baby. And his, uh, his suit was his Halloween bag. Like that was his actual, <laughs> like that was his bowl. Like there was a hole in the top of the suit and he was like so slick, like the suit fit him perfectly. It, it was the best thing I saw all night. Uh, the, the other good thing was Ezra was like just assessing everyone's houses. Like, like she walked by, she's like, that doesn't look safe. That's a bad home. <laughs> then another place she'll be like, that's cute. I like the way they did their pathway. And like, she had like specific design advice. She'd like walk up to the door. They'd be like, happy Halloween. Who are you? She's like, I like your home. <laughs> like she'd comment on all their decor. Uh, uh, pretty good. That's really terrific. I love hearing these these Ezra stories because, like, when, whenever I'm around her, she she does clam up. Like, like, like you said, she's not as uh, friendly with me. So, well, that's it, the it's thing. A, it's a very different experience that I get with her versus these ones that you relay to me. And so, it's always fun fun to see that side that I don't get to. <laughs> she's coming out of her shell a bit, but for most of the houses, all she could get out was trick or treat, like a question mark, <laughs> and then you know they they try to give her candy, and she'd like walk away with her head down. Just mm. trying not to make eye contact, and you know, she opens up around me and Jess, and uh, she's really coming out of her shell a bit, so that'll be fun. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm just excited for all the Halloweens to come. I mean, uh, even once she stops, I know that the horror movies will fill a space, and yeah, I've never had her able to watch like the horror movies. And she told me the other day she's ready to start watching new scary things and uh, ready for some su- surprises, like she wants to get out of just animated movies. So. We watch Ghostbusters, and that's a good uh, in between. Yeah, I'd say so. So, so, at what point do you think is the time to show the kids the the traumatizing Halloween movies, like to give them the experience you had where you watched something too early? Because that's yeah, may, maybe inadvisable in some ways, but also <laughs> that's that's what makes us horror fans. You know, we saw something terrifying at an early age, and we we want to watch more. <laughs> I could always tell her that like when she was a baby, I watched every alien and every Halloween back to back, like holding her <laughs> and uh, she's seen Jaws a couple of times. So I think that's a good, uh, another good pathway. Uh, she's okay with Jaws and she's watched that and she makes the shark sound every time she's in the water. So I, I feel like uh, you just keep molding around like their interests, right? Like right. 
I don't know, maybe something will come up. She'll get into like Dracula or something or have a curiosity. And I think the universal horrors are a good way to go for kids. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they have been for generations, you know, so that's what makes them so timeless, right? Like they're all audience movies technically. I think, I think Dracula might be a bit of a, you know, a, a dull one. It is for, you know, yeah. e- even for adults sometimes, but Frankenstein is, you know, always a classic. I think that one's a great, great pick for kids. I mean, there's, there's other Invisible like, Man, too. Invisible probably. Man That's wouldn't a be that shocking. Yours. Yeah. I bet, I bet she would like that. Those would be fun. Yeah. I think just slowly we'll, we'll build on the interest. And uh, she got into, uh, what did she watch? She watched a lot of Paranorman the last month. So I haven't oh, watched that, it with that, her this month, but that was great. one. I, I, I got to watch Paranorman. Did I mention this? I can't remember which I did and didn't mention on that. I, I, I had a lot did. of, I had a lot of theater halloween experiences this month this past like a couple weeks even paranorman was one i saw we i went and saw that with murph we saw that at the uh omsi the uh oregon uh museum of science and technology yeah we talked about the like a didn't last week didn't we uh, i think we might have uh i'm gonna talk about it again anyway okay <laughs> um yeah it was really cool because i haven't been to an imax theater in forever so seeing it on that big, although it was very uncomfortable, the the seating arrangement because yeah, I I I max theaters like like when I walked up the steps there, you have to walk up so high. It felt like I was watching it from two stories up, yeah. and the the seats are also cramped together because it's it's built in a place like that uh, for you know more for like uh, exhibitions, like you know quick uh, like twenty minutes like nature showing documentaries or whatever they do for and usually for like school field trips and shit. Do you follow the Roger Ebert rule, which is you take the dimension of the screen and then you like sit as far away as the screen would be if it were laid down? I don't do any calculations, but uh, I kind of uh, keep in mind, like I, I try and find a seat where I can like see the whole screen without moving my head uh, at all. Just having a good view of it in in the center. I know you like aisle seats, though. And... I do. I think it's like a nerves thing, too. Like, I, I, I guess it's just anxiety around large groups still. So, Well, it depends on the, like, aisle seats can be really good depending yeah. on the theater setup. Because, like, for, for instance, when we went to the Hollywood, there was no issue with that because they have, uh, they have two walkways, two walkways. So the theater is split into three seating sections. Whereas something like the the Kiggins uh, uh, over here, they have just a single one down the middle. So, yeah, you uh, want the right setup for the for the yeah. aisle seats. Yeah, and it's a it's a large it's a large aisle in the middle too. So, um, not not always the 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 best perspective you can get there. Yeah, I always take aisle seats by the exit, and uh, I I guess it started because I like to write while I'm doing it, and I feel strange being in the center where people could see me doing notes on a movie or whatever so Mm -hmm. so it's a critical thing too that i i like space i don't like people i know nobody could see what i'm doing like nobody could read it but uh i like to feel like i'm kind of alone if i go alone if i go with someone else out mine in the middle if it has to be that way right sometimes depending on what time you get there you don't really have a lot of options because that's the other thing is that if you want your pick of the seats you got to show up early I guess uh, that brings me to 
our feature of the week, which I, uh, it's the first Dolby movie in Dolby that I've seen in a couple of years, which is a, a big thing for me. I like to fill my um, movie going with the larger screens. I like the IMAX. I like the Dolby. I like richer sound. I like deeper sound. So I knew uh, Edgar Wright vehicle would be the right place to see something with, you know, a soundtrack that matters and sound design that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I'm sure, especially after your your love of Baby Driver in particular, um, and the sound, you know, the relationship it has with sound and music, but all Edgar Rice movies, and this one wasn't any exception. Last Night in Soho has some great music choices, certainly, and it's um, named after the song Last Night in Soho, which was a. Uh... Uh, brought Tiger right by Tarantino of all people. Um, is, is that just going to be his thing going forward? Is his next film also going to be named after a song? So. Baby Driver was a Simon and Garfunkel song. That's right. Um, I'm, I don't. I don't mind if he does. I'm just curious. <laughs> and last night in Soho is a song by Davy D, Dozy, Beaky, Mick, and Titch. I had to look that one up because that's a a very memorable name. <laughs> yeah. Let, let me let me start with my first nitpick because there's going to be a lot of them here. But my first nitpick is that. No, nothing about this film is last night in Soho. There are many nights that take place in Soho in this film. Uh, and, and none of them really seem to indicate them being a final one either. So it's not a play on that. It it just seems to be a conveniently, you know, you know, uh, sounding name for, for his uh, horror film here. Can you say though that it's, it's based on the last night that she has, like every night she goes into, I know it's not last night all the time, but I mean, technically, it's always last night, right? It seems it just seems very as a, as a stretch. I think a stretch. Also, I, I guess another thing on the topic here. This has not happened to me, but I've heard a couple of cases of people who were confused and thought that the movie was supposed to take place in New York. I don't know it, why. Well, because there's a Soho in New York I know. as well. But that's... Is that the that, more famous Soho? I feel like I the Soho in London might be more known, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and even if you didn't think that one was the most famous, you could use context clues to figure out that Edgar Wright wouldn't make British that director <laughs> probably making the one in, in London. Yeah, I mean, probably making it with Thomas and McKenzie and Edgar Wright, you might like link it and be like, oh, yeah, that's a, I mean, 60s fashion, very English 60s fashion seems to be the centerpiece of the film. So I, I don't know. I, I couldn't see the New York in it at all, even in the trailers. No. Yeah, that's the people watching the show. I don't know. I I don't know how people got New York from that. Despite, I think uh, I think our friend Kevin just wanted some wish fulfillment because he lives there. <laughs> Damn New Yorkers, they're so self obsessed. <laughs> it's like when uh, in the music show, uh, I'm trying to be like, okay, yeah, yeah, Brooklyn. That's the that's the same thing as Queens, and New Yorkers are very defensive. They're like, no, no, they're they're separate neighborhoods. For me, it's like if I lived in. Linwood or Everett, I'd be like, yeah, I live in Seattle, right? Like, yeah, oh, it's the same thing here. Yeah. yeah, like that's that's the that's always been the case, you know. And when I used to live on Woodby, you know, if you go anywhere, you say you're from Seattle, uh, Seattle as well, even though it's <laughs> you know 200 miles away. <laughs> yeah, really, that's the only place you say you're from. I mean, uh, you know, or Spokane. Like, if you're further east, you might just throw in a, you know, an eastern identifier. At that point, you wouldn't say a western Washington. Yeah, place, yeah, but... you're 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 either in 
you're either in Seattle if you're close to Western Washington, you're you're in Spokane if you live closer in Eastern Washington, or you live in Portland if you live right. in Southern Washington. There's literally in Washington three places. All. You don't get to have five boroughs just because you're in one city, honestly. <laughs> and people act like that's like the whole state from the outside, right? Like they're oh New York, that's just five boroughs. You guys don't give me that special. Sorry. <laughs> we're not, we're knocking New Yorkers down a peg. <laughs> Definitely a West Coast show. <laughs> But yeah, last night in Soho. Uh, Not New York. Yes, yes, in in London. Last night in London. <laughs> they should they should just change the name to that at this point. Would you say most of the film doesn't take place at night? I'd say about half does. Yeah, yeah, something like that. There's a so lot. Another of, misnomer. Yeah, you're right. Jesus. There's a, there's a lot of build up to the the film, the story. I guess like there's a there's a whole lengthy first act. Uh, before you even really get to the the, the horror things yeah. there's there's I, I don't want to say there's a little amount of horror in this film because there is a good chunk but for the for the long stretch of time it's not much of a horror film which isn't again an, an issue in and of itself uh it's, i'm not even sure it's a horror movie technically i think it might be like leaning toward the thriller giallo section of horror at I, the very least i think it definitely is a horror film or at least trying to be specifically the way that it in uh works to create a horror within its theme within its subject more than just its its visuals and its uh you know um uh editing editing and style of filmmaking it it obviously goes out of its way to make the horror more than just uh the what what you see on screen uh, there is like a autonomous like section of it where it's like in october it's based around halloween parties i mean yeah they could see why they right sneaks in a halloween party scene. they had to release it last month so that had to happen last month then releases yeah one of the, i think one of the big problems uh in terms of it's not doing very well right now is the choice to delay it so it didn't have to compete with dune in its opening week oh good because uh, they were into the good yeah. stuff <laughs> They they were they were going to release it originally like it was set to release the same day uh, I believe but then they pushed it back so that it would not have to worry about competing and that was probably a mistake because this this is a film that should play in October it like should, I think yeah. I think its appeal should and releasing it on the twenty eighth of October just leaves you no time which <laughs> I don't think really takes me back to a harrowing prediction. I won David Punch on August 11th of 2021, um, where one David Punch says, quote me later, but predicting now, last night in Soho, does better than Dune. Like, better than is the is the verbiage there, just, just being clear. How do you feel, David Punch? Um, I, I feel... Like I, I feel like my my brain was in the right place when I when I made that when I made that wager, but um, obviously it it was the 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 worst bet to make. As I mean, as Dune crushes records and Soho flounders. Soho was projected to make about eight million um, overall in the box office, and it made less than four. So it even shrunk under its lowered expectations uh surprising for Edgar Wright I thought too that it would bring more people out around Halloween I think a 
having a Halloween film to go up against is really hard. Like people yeah. will just connect that name, whether or not it's the franchise, they see Halloween, they go. In 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 all, all the things I tried to factor, the fact that there was a new Halloween movie coming out around the same time and that it would kind of take away from some of those uh you know uh views uh was not something i considered what i considered was the past failures of denis villeneuve uh <laughs> particularly it, when he you know is working within the sci-fi genre and on a big budget scale like with blade runner 2049 which mm -hmm. you know tanked at the box office even though it was very successful with critics and fans one in our hearts but not at the box office i mean he yeah. said that like making that film he realized it was a money pit you yeah know, that was never going to succeed it should have i wish it did we'd be better off if it did but nope. well and and i kind of figured that dune had even less of a chance because <laughs> blade runner at least had that name association with it like people know blade runner al yeah. already and are associated with a success successful film uh whereas dune if anything is associated with an unsuccessful film adaptation <laughs> yeah, that's true um, I see your logic there. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the other logic. I think what I was really banking on was I was banking on nobody going to see it at the theaters. I uh, <laughs> because it was having a same week HBO release. I was thinking everyone's staying home for this, particularly because there's still a pandemic going on. Uh, you know why? Why would people go out to go see this instead? They're gonna go see this. Whereas Soho is not only thematically appropriate uh, viewing, for the yeah. yeah. But also, it's you know, it's not getting an alternate you know release and on streaming you know at, at the same time. You got to go see it in the theater right now if you want to see it. I mean, putting that stake on people doesn't seem to be working um, because we looked at this opening weekend for Soho, and the two top films were from last week. Like they premiered last week. It was uh, in the week before, I think. It was still Dune and Halloween, so both of those premiered to I think was it Paramount and uh, HBO. So. Uh, I don't think people care. I think it's only young people going to the movies. And I think the young people are kind of deciding, you know, on brands and uh, groups of their friends going out for the first time in a couple of years and seeing something, but probably something safe. Mm -hmm. Last Night in Soho, it turns out, is a risk. It's been divisive among even our friends. Yeah, uh, myself included. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have divisive takes. We rarely get one on the show um, where I we're... I, I thought about I actually I thought about this before. You know what the last uh, I, I thought of another parallel, uh, another horror film that came out that we had <laughs> the exact same ratings on that we discussed. Uh, <laughs> and that was that was us. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Is that the last really divided one that we did, too? Well, that's the one I always think of when we have a, a, a very divisive, you know, like, <laughs> you know, view on on a film. Is that I, I think back to that discussion, because that was also a very divisive discussion in and of itself. I don't think there was much we agreed on at all. <laughs> I don't think there was. I think there's a lot more we agree on about last night in Soho. And I've just chosen not to factor the problems in. Like, I've just been like, yeah, those are problems. I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah. I think that happens sometimes when something's made, like, very specifically to your interests. Like, we talk about Baby Driver, which is, like, audio-visually connected with its themes and uh, has the audio, like, as the uh, text of the movie, uh, mm -hmm. which is something I'm always interested in. Like, that's the under the skin of it all. Like, that's why it's my, that's my favorite movie and why I judge other movies based on that uh, aspect. This right. has that too. I mean, to a certain extent, not quite as much as Baby Driver.
Yeah, I think this is. Uh, I don't. Uh, if if you remove from your mind your uh, irrational Scott Pilgrim <laughs> hatred, do you think that he Edgar Wright's made a uh, a worse movie than this? Again, not not to say if it's a good or a bad movie yet, but is this is this on the low rung of the Edgar Wright movies? Um, I mean, uh, Hot Fuzz is better. I think we both agree that that Hot Fuzz is clearly better in that whole trilogy. Shaun of the Dead um, makes such an impact in a statement. But uh, The World's End, do you, do you feel like that's better than this? I, I think it is. Uh, World's End is definitely the worst of those three films. Uh, I, feel like, I just feel like that's the one I have to revisit. Like I have The World's End at a five, and I don't think it's a five out of ten at all. There's, so, uh, there's no way. No, because I, I, I remember enjoying it now, but then I have it marked as a five. So. Yeah, that definitely one to revisit and see. Uh, maybe in a future podcast episode yeah. or something. Who knows? That's what we're doing. We're covering Edgar Wright movies exclusively coming <laughs> forward. We're, we're going to run out of episodes really fast. Yeah. yeah. Last podcast and the Twin Geeks. <laughs> but yeah, for, for me, this is definitely his worst Best film. movie. Oh. Worst, worst film. I think most matured, like stylistically and... Uh, not so much uh, constructed. I think the whole plot is a, a giant mess, but uh, yeah. I'm fine with that too, because I like a lot of Giallas that are a lot of bullshit. I mean, I like a lot of horror movies that are bullshit. Right, but, but this is this is bullshit that also wants to mean something at the same time. What does it and mean, that, though? I mean... Yeah, I mean, that's part of the problem, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask, which is a problem, right? Because uh, I, I can't clearly tell you like what the film means to... To his perspective watcher, I, I guess we uh, can spoil thing. it. So right? yeah, we're we're going to. This is the I'm thinking of spoiling things episode <laughs> this week. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna spoil the shit because it's definitely you can't talk about you can't unpack all the problems of last night in Soho without really getting into everything because there's a lot of reveals and plot twists and stuff that come in the last twenty minutes or so, and they're all pretty asinine. <laughs> um. I guess we should go over like the plot itself first. Yeah. Yeah. So the plot is that Thomas and Mackenzie's character uh, name is they they say it a lot in the film, but I've already forgotten it. Eloise. Eloise. Yes. There's a whole bit with a song about it too, because it's an Edgar Wright movie. (laughs) And and he got the name from the that song, so I think that's also yeah. Yeah. So Eloise. Eloise um, is a, a uh, aspirant fashion designer who has a particular affection for the culture of the 1960s, thanks to her grandmother's uh, influence, you know, and all the music she played. Um, she doesn't have any parents. She's an orphan because her mother killed herself, which is a... Uh, important plot thing for a bit uh for appara- a bit. <laughs> apparently true. apparently due to the, the i'd say the, it's always an important plot thing yeah at the end. but but one of the weird things that's early on set up in the plot is that they they make it like like a, a definite thing that this family has powers and they see people particularly she, she sees her mom maybe uh st- yeah like in in the reflections and stuff she sees her and this is only really important in the first 10 minutes of the film and then it comes back at the very end 
I think it's always important that I, I think the reflection and the oh the, and reflection, the contrast sure, but of the '60s and modern cultures. I'm, I'm talking about the the she sees her mom thing. Yeah, right. That that goes away in favor of someone else. Oh, it but, does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, what what kind of perturbed me about that is that they make it like very literal. Like they like it's a she has magic powers thing. <laughs> they 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 make they. they, they kind of frame it as that and they don't need to you know like if if the film it just like kind of because because then the plot goes on and she starts seeing these visions of the 60s you know a, a girl in the you know in the 1960s uh and i don't think that needed an explanation like if it didn't have an explanation like she's just just seeing these things i think that would have worked better than trying to literalize it for one thing <laughs> see how that would make a better movie i mean she is an aspirant fashion designer and she's pulling from her dream she's moved into this boarding house with this older lady who puts her up and uh in the room there's like the neon lights of soho that like soak in and when she sleeps and dreams in there she dreams of the 60s and that kind of goes into her fashion and what she designs but like by the she way goes and finds like the leather coat were you paying attention to the lighting during yeah. that first time because that uh, it was obviously a very big deal like there's a bistro uh downstairs from where where she's staying and it has this sequence of lights that lights up it goes red and then blue and then white and then back to red again and i i was very sorry because then the whole scene where she's starting to fall asleep is lit like very you know monochromatically with those light you mm -hmm. know switching through and i was kind of paying attention to the editing just because i was i was kind of curious to see if they would keep it consistent if there wasn't going to be an issue there and there was a couple times where it, it kind of messed up, like they'd cut from a shot where it went from red, you know, uh, and then it just went to blue straight yeah. on, on the next cut. And I'm like, oh, OK, that, that you know, <laughs> but it's also that's one of those forgivable things. That's not a nitpick. That's just me observing. Things. Yeah, I wasn't clear if that was like the direction to pattern it off that initial light. You know, but right. I see what you mean, because if it would be reflecting in a room, that's what you would dream. I mean, ideally, that's well, what well it would just edit. be like you would see it again as the sequence goes on. But then it does become a, a an intentional change a shift to it just a singular flashing of red throughout the scene as it mm -hmm. tra transitions into the next uh you know the, the the dream part and that's obviously a stylistic choice that's uh effective as well i, sh I should mention as well that as we've kind of jumped into this part we've skipped over probably 15 minutes of the movie where she's <laughs> getting to fashion school and meeting the stereotypical like you know uh rich bitches uh that that she's stuck with and they there's, there's a scene uh where they complain about her in the bathroom and she's in the next stall and you know hears everything you know like in every other movie yeah <laughs> i mean there's like like her new roommate jacosta and she's like talking about how uh well when eloise gets to school she's like yeah well my mom killed herself and jacosta's like yeah well my my uncle my distant uncle killed himself once and then the other girls are like, oh, that's so, so bad for you. You know, like they do yeah. that mean girls it's, thing. Yeah. And she's like, it's not, it's not like a competition or anything. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> yeah. But it, it did. Okay. Th this is more just nitpicky things where it's like, you know, yeah, this is all very cliched stuff. Like, you know, it, a, a lot of that doesn't feel very distinct or original, uh, feels very stereotypical, but I, I wouldn't feel as comfortable complaining about that stuff if, certain developments later on weren't then even more so cliched and stereotypical in a very frustrating way <laughs> i guess i just wasn't frustrated i 
I, I guess I, I might it. see what you're saying and then say, well, I wasn't affected. Th those things, again, in the beginning, they didn't bother me too much. I was aware of them, but I was willing to overlook them. But by the end, it, it then contributed to all of the things that were frustrating me. <laughs> it was I don't... probably... Probably a little over the halfway point, I was starting to lose patience with the movie. Oh, you were? And then it, and then it just kept getting worse. <laughs> I guess I never lost patience or interest. I mean, like I say, the Dolby helps a little bit, but sound design keeps me pretty hooked into anything. I guess I don't really fade off with even things I dislike. But mm -hmm. I don't know. There's, there's, I was never bored. I was, I was like engaged the whole way through, and which was a contrast to like the previous night i did two screenings back to back but what did you see the night before i i went and saw videodrome in the oh. theater and i wasn't disengaged because a videodrome is a bad movie or anything it's a great movie uh it was a 10 p.m showing and i had yeah, worked that day <laughs> so uh i was i was tired getting to the theater <laughs> so it was uh, it took active effort for me to remain engaged i think i had just got my covid booster before so i was also kind of like drowsing off but for the wrong reasons i, I during went back this middle I, of the day showing oh during this one I, I thought you were talking about your video drone no no so uh, yeah right yeah um i i wasn't like drowsy or anything to it i was engaged the whole way through but definitely i was it was it was getting Im impatient with elements of it because like i said it, it feels like uh at a certain point like it, it they just you know go the 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 cliche like like kind of more referential route of things more genre you know kind of like corniness in terms of its plot that were really unnecessary uh because you've got i think a, a rich idea in the beginning and how you're trying to deal with horror because the horror of the film is at first framed within the concept of the male gaze and mm -hmm. the the predatory uh the the, the ever-present predatory nature of of men and the inherently uh defensive nature women have to take on just to exist within the world and, and to protect themselves from the potential threat of um aggressive men yeah and and you get that before the film even really becomes a horror film again like when she first gets into london and you've got the kind of very persistent taxi driver is yeah. a, a great moment where she hops out and she's like just waiting inside the store watching making sure the cab goes away and it it's not like explicitly stated that the cab driver was up to anything nefarious but you know just the idea that he could be and that his you know he's still waiting there again like just this worst case scenario that you know uh, young impression, uh, young women like that have to be, you know, uh, attuned to, and you know, are, and just have to kind of live with. And that's a, that's a genuine horror that the film is honing in on early, that it tries to carry through with its commentary and you know, example or example in the uh, the nineteen sixties setting, and how that was on a much greater, more exploitative scale, you know, kind of utilized uh, to disenfranchise women and. Uh, you know, uh, subjugate them. Uh, but again, like, you know, the, the ending kind of just spoils that. <laughs> I felt like Edgar Wright began very reverentially with like his references and they were very celebratory in the beginning movies. Uh, I felt like people were rewarded. I mean, they still have like caustic signs and ideas about like maybe, you know, what it means to like sit and just play video games all day and like Shaun of the Dead. But I, I think like the reverence has, has kind of slipped away and become um, 
each movie it seems to get a little darker and a little bit more like here are the consequences for that reverence and the regression into the past and what could happen um uh, this movie especially i think uh punishes her a lot for her fixations on the past and interests um yeah and again i think there's i think there's some you know again there's an idea there that's worth going into like this idea of you know how we tend to uh idealize the past you know in particular like a period like the 60s and like you know so so the film can be this kind of reminder or wake-up call to say hey things were actually really shitty then especially for for women you know there was some really disgusting practices and stuff out there that were you know utilized to to subjugate them and our our nostalgia you know or reverence tends to blind us from that and that that's like an element of it but it never really follows through it feels like it doesn't like commit to that theme or that idea wholeheartedly it's just it's kind of presented in suggestion and then the the horror again capitulates to something more kind of cliched and contrived instead like what the lady says uh, i mean she comes in she says yeah the 60s are so much better and the lady's like yeah the music was like yeah <laughs> like you get the sense like it's still commenting on it. it's just not doing like a whole cloth thing that i could think could have been better was to keep progressively pushing her life toward the dream she's having like the nightmare i mean it tries to do that with like the faces and what's following her but i think if it really delivered on that and and ended her like down a path that really mirrored the projections she saw in her dreams a little right. more clearly. It went too far cliche at the end and it gave it a real like horror movie ending, which I'm not saying horror movies always have bad endings, but they often have simple and contrived ones to deal with uh, simplistic subject matter. So it does one of those things with the, it does a, a horror cliche with the faces too, which I'm not very fond of. Uh, I'm not fond of that horror aesthetic of the, like the sunken faces and, uh, I think I get, that's just overdone. I get the purpose of it here. I think I, I understood the the reasoning behind the face design, and, mm-hmm. and I liked the idea behind it. But again, like the execution wasn't necessarily great, especially when it's like it's it's the cliche of the things that have been haunting you, or uh, you know, or, or or the ghosts, the spirits that have been terrorizing you, are really the ones who need help the whole time. That's mm-hmm. very that's very cliched and overdone and i thought about it because i'm like that's one of the weaker parts of paranorman that i just saw again like that's a that's a point there too as well it that that twist expects you to just disregard the tone and presentation of the horror presented to you up until that point like that that revelation comes when like she's literally being like held down on a bed by like an array of ghoul arms and then they're like, help us, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I guess I see a lot of the contrivances and where you're coming from, especially. Uh, I guess, like I say, it's just, do I, does it matter? Have I got past that in enough horror movies that I don't care anymore? Yeah. Let, Am let I me too say, hardened to this? <laughs> so to get back to the, the, the plot and the good things of the movie is that that first sequence where she does have the visions of the 60s is uh immaculate filmmaking uh it's it's really mesmerizing and and stylistically uh you know kind of a tour de force a culmination of edgar wright's you know uh style of filmmaking up until now uh especially i especially love the integration of the special effects with the with the the reflections and the mirrors throughout it uh it's just incredibly well done and i'm not 
usually one to like notice or like give applause to you know uh C cgi effects or like information implementations like that but when it feels so seamless and so well implemented into a scene like that it it just looks st astonishing it looks really good it's a good looking movie throughout i think yeah um, even when the editing or uh, plot choices are contrived i think the movie always looks good and it sounds good i think the I think the visual matches its sound design so well that it's enough for me to just skate by on. Yeah, did you see uh, who the cinematographer was here? Who was it? It was uh, Chung Hoon Chung, which is uh, Chan Wook Park's uh, usual cinematographer. Oh, I really see it. I could I could see that all over it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I noticed his name in the credits when it opened up, and I, I was like, oh, that's really exciting. <laughs> that's, that's interesting that he got... You know, I, I was like, I, I'm so sure that right just you know saw one of his films and I'm like oh i gotta get him to shoot my next movie i like the credits by the way it's a simple dumb thing they just shot soho during lockdown and it's just like the empty frames of people gone from the the place i, I just like that easy credits scene but uh, uh i guess acting would be like a big category where it will win for me and some awards possibly it'll get mentioned in several i think um, that yeah i think the acting is really good i was really impressed by Andrew Taylor Joy, especially like she was just such a powerhouse here. Yeah. I, I definitely thought. Um, I always think she looks like an alien, so she's very fascinating to watch. <laughs> like she, her face could really do anything, and she could transform so easily, like a chameleon. She's a she's, real alien. Yeah, she she's one of the most interesting actresses I think working right yeah. now for sure. So her her involvement here was definitely exciting and she's got a, a an iconic look to her in, in the film again you know for for a film about fashion design it does a really good job of uh you know presenting a very uh you know dynamic look in in the costuming that's probably another place where it could win if if, uh, it, yeah. if it gets nominated for awards if we're even talking awards yeah i'm doing costuming in mine i can't imagine a movie that i'd put ahead of it yet um I mean, I like these kind of things. I like like Phantom Thread and these uh, classical costume dramas in a way that I, like uh, The Favorite also was a big standout for me. Uh, Spencer comes out next week. I think that might have a shot. So I think this is up there in that category. It's also the last performance of Diane Riggs, uh, Bond girl um, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. I think she was in. Yep. And uh yeah, that I think I thought she did well. It was it was nice just knowing it's you know a final thing will always stand out for its own reasons. But um, glad to see her one last time in the theater. Um, also, yeah, Thomas and McKenzie I really like. Um, I liked her a lot as a mirror to Anya Taylor Joy. Just like she's a little bit more nebbish and um, unsure of herself in a way that worked for me. Mm hmm. I yeah I. I enjoyed the performances, but some of them were harder to appreciate because oh, of yeah. the script. Uh, I'll also say Matt Smith was really good as well as a first kind of like like seductive playboy and then a huge like douchebag. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was he was really terrific in that role. And I even liked um, what's his name? The the other Michael Ajayo. Yeah. Yeah. He was, from he, Attack the Block. Like, yeah, he was really good, but not a well-written character he was really just like he was meant to be as like pristine as possible <laughs> i love the shots when they put on the the makeup and uh, that's a whole aesthetic that i adore about the movie when they have the ghost makeup on and she looks mm -hmm. so cool in that makeup like that's 
that's yeah. like one of the images that's going to just stand in my mind and that's why i mean like when a movie's like playing in my head like i could hear and feel those pictures still uh in a very tangible way for me yeah again the, the movie is shot beautifully and it's it can be very mesmerizing in stretches but it's it gets bogged down by really really contrived elements throughout but especially at the ending well, um, I'm glad we came back for a short one on this. Uh, thank you for joining me. And uh, we'll, we'll be back with the uh, ranking want, the Radiohead. Did you want to talk about the ending at all? Do you want to? It's uh... it's it's up to you if you if you really again, like I'm fine spoiling it, but we could also save that for our, our cohorts if you'd rather. Because, again, that's like we've been talking about it and how that really <laughs> kills the film, but we haven't said what it is. <laughs> see i'm divided i might even lower my score after this conversation so i tried to get out of the ending but i <laughs> i'm serious i might put it down to a seven because the more i think about it there's so much to like but also these there's the whole film right like you have to think like cohesively does it work i mean there's the ending which is yeah like her figuring out who the person is that she's been following in her dreams yeah yeah so i guess just to spell it out for for listeners real quick uh one of the things that ends up happening in the vision so she, she has these visions again of, of glamorous 1960s and Anya taylor joy and she identifies with her as this you know want to be like like singer in the the nightclub scene and she hooks up with matt smith and he basically just ends up pimping her out throughout the movie and then he she has a really severe nightmare uh where she sees Andrew taylor joy get murdered by matt smith on on their bed uh uh in the room that she's staying in and and eventually we find out because then all of these like the all the images of all of the men that she uh, all the johns that she you know serviced um end up kind of like haunting uh eloise's character and then we get the twist where we find out that they're actually like, no, we, we need saving from her because we find out that uh, Matt Smith didn't actually kill Annie Taylor-Joy's character. Uh, she killed him and then many, many other men, and they're all hidden in the walls of the house now. And Annie Taylor-Joy is actually the old lady that... Uh, <laughs> she, uh, Eloise is renting the the house from <laughs> and it's all delivered in a really like kind of gotcha kind of shitty way there's also there's a whole dynamic a plot dynamic with Terrence Stamp's character who we're meant to believe is uh Matt Smith's character like you know in in the future much older now and then again you get the kind of rug pull out of you under thing where it's like oh no he's actually you know, someone totally irrelevant that we showed for two seconds in, in a scene. I guess that's gotcha. all I want is I, I, I might even retain my score, but all I want is for the movie to really nail what it was setting up the whole time. And it it doesn't quite get there. I mean, it it really does pull the rug and then just do a pretty common horror ending. Yeah, again, it just and it, it it throws away all its ideas about you know be you know being this kind of consideration of you know the horrors of of women having to deal with you know the dangers and threat of men, and again it it makes you know I, th I think it takes away from some of the the genuine genuine tragedy of Anya Taylor Joy's character and her exploitation by then making her into a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, I I guess so. Um... 
Or it's saying she's valid in doing it. I'm not. Yeah. Oh, oh, it, it literally does. It yeah. literally does. Like there's a literal moment where, you know, she, she's like, I thought they deserved it. And Eloise, you know, affirms that for her. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really fucked up. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. Is it? I mean, I, I guess so. Like in the constructs of the movie, it might not be fucked up. But in reality, it's a fucked up. Yeah. Idea. I, I, again, like equating murder to that is just it's 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 a bad path to go down again the sentiment may be you know uh you you can be empathetic with the sentiment that's trying to be conveyed there but it's ultimately a bad message i think to to put out uh and again like like framing her as you know doing a heroic thing by going on a killing spree of all of these these people yeah it's it's just it's it's really bad And, and there's a whole there's a whole mental illness angle that's kind of also badly like exposed and demonstrated there again this connection back with her her mom and and the fact that eloise sees people and they kind of frame that as a quasi mental illness or may have been and yeah, she's schizophrenic with... the cops are kind of acting as if that she is oh there's yeah. a whole and the, the whole cover-up bit where the the uh diana riggs is just gonna you know like blame it on her you know already like kind of paranoid you know state of mind mm-hmm. uh and again they're gonna write off you know the the killing of her as a suicide because she was probably already going to anyway and that's a really fucked up element of it that's you know kind of just used again for you know kind of cliche horror purposes and you know plot contrivances i also think like if you could get away from like the plot though i think there's still a lot to enjoy i would still have people go see it for themselves to figure it out because i think it's worth seeing i think it's worth doing the dolby for it so i'd uh, still yeah. i'd still say of the movies out right now this seems like the most compelling one maybe i've i've yet to see french dispatch which i know is also kind of getting more disappointing reviews but i'm interested to see for myself how how french dispatch plays out can't be worse than grand budapest so this is why this is why we can't do a Wes Anderson cast together <laughs> maybe in the future we'll see <laughs> but no uh, on, on the opposite end I, I would not recommend this personally because even though it does have lots of admirable traits and it's not like technically incompetent it's very technically you know competent. well composed yeah. yeah yeah again more than competent I would say I would say some of the stuff here is some of Wright's best work but the the script uh, around which everything is kind of built is just it's really rough really bad uh in certain stretches uh <laughs> and but good in other again there's 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 good elements but they're never brought to fruition so is it really good in, it is in good the, in the end uh, it's one of the best looking movies of the year with the best costuming some really great actors in it uh, it, I mean, it I wonder, has Edgar Wright's touch to it. Shows his maturation in a few ways as a filmmaker uh, from his, his early maturation in a few other ways. <laughs> I, I, you I want, could say that, but I wouldn't say it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Again, I don't. I don't see this as a step back. More as a misstep. I don't think that it's indicative of a trajectory for for Wright. I just yeah. Think, for me, it's yeah. a really good misstep. If it's if it's anything, it's. A, I mean, it's a movie with a lot of flaws that I really love. So, yeah, that's yeah, okay. and and I'm glad you love. I'm not trying to take that away. Certainly, you can't take it from me. <laughs> well, now that you said that, I'm gonna try. Uh, <laughs> can't have it. Um, I'll let you have your Scott Pilgrim, but uh, I'm standing by. Like uh, your really deep Scott Pilgrim uh, look at you know really deep <laughs> themes and characterization there. I mean, I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> I do. I do. I do greatly. I do many others. <laughs> 
I mean, the, you know, the populace isn't always right. So, <laughs> so yeah, those it's uh, true. The populace is, you know, signing off on uh, Halloween kills right now, as opposed <laughs> to this. How do you feel about that? I don't know. How do you feel about that Dune bet? <laughs> uh, all, all I can say is I'm glad you didn't decide to hold me to any kind of actual monetary bet there. It was just a, a very friendly wager. <laughs> I just couldn't steal money like that. That would be it'd be too easy of a bet. But uh, we have we have this in Dune. We have we have good movies out. So now that there are good movies, we're going to take a break from the show for a while. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> we're going to come back with a new uh, approach. It'll be a lot of fun, like we said last year, and like we alluded to a lot in the beginning here. Yeah, it'll it'll be good. This isn't quite the last night in Twin Geeks. There's quite a it's, few more stages to go. It's it's the last night in the sense that it's the most recent one. Right, but, and we'll still probably break away occasionally and do like filler episodes between yeah, them on yeah. certain things. Again, like ultimately, like this. ultimately. It's our show, you know, we're going to yeah. do what we feel like doing. The reason we're implementing a change is because we feel like we need to make an adjustment so we're happier with what we're doing. But if uh, so, Matt Farley wants to come back, we'll we'll cover one of his or whatever ab- we need Absolutely. To I, I want to talk to Matt sometime. I, I don't know if I emphasized this enough the last time. <laughs> I thought he was I thought he was really great on there and I really loved his uh, presence and his personality coming through. And I definitely felt like I was I was missing out with all of the stuff going uh-huh. by. Again, it all all, all of the Matt Farley fervor just kind of like happened very, very unexpectedly. It kind of blew up on a, in another click within the site. So I got to catch up sometime. I got to go see yeah. what this, this River Beast deal is all about. Local Legends and River Beast. I, I think the two that you want to see. Yeah, that was, that was, that was your guys' recommendation. So I will I will do that. So thank, thanks again, Matt. Thanks again for being a listener and, uh, you know, coming on and seeing us. And thanks again for the awesome theme song. Uh, or the, the the outro song that we get to use. It is a beauty, yeah. Thank you for listening to my podcast. One of uh, twenty three thousand songs. That Ge- you can genuinely, find in this. G- genuinely. I, sometimes I just go back and I listen to that song. Now <laughs> I just skip through the rest of an episode we played, and I'm like, this, this is a it's a bop. Yeah, it's it's a good track. <laughs> and thank you for the permission to use your song. That's very nice of you. Yes, so. it, incredibly nice. And thank you all for listening to our podcast. Uh, the the twingeeks.com is our website. I don't have my right, written thing in front of me, and I'm gonna have to change it going forward because we have like five new shows that I don't have listed on it. So I know, like, uh, you might just need to do a rewrite for the new show anyway. Uh, I will, I, I think I will do that. Uh, in the meantime, uh, stay fresh. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Make sure to check out our website, thetwingeeks.com, for our latest reviews, retrospectives, and features. Follow us on Twitter at the Twin Geeks and individually at David A. Punch and at Calvin Kemp. Don't forget to check out our video game show, The Daydream Cast, and our Kaiju show, Ranking the Monsters, and our music show, Three Letters and Five Mics, and our spoiling show. I'm thinking of spoiling things. Is that all of them? That, that must be all of them. Mike, I think so. Leave a review and rating, and we'll see you next week for another conversation on classic and contemporary cinema. All right. It's still your outro. It's okay. You can have it. I'm going to make a new one, a better one. <laughs> I'll steal it. Um, yeah, thanks so much, man. Uh, that was a fun impromptu show. Yeah, I, I'd say so. Are we still playing video games? 
my conversations and I post them online for entertainment. It's nice to know at least you listen to the show because it's quite the possibility that nobody is listening to me in this modern world. Things have changed. Everybody's entertaining. Who's being entertained? Thank you. Mine out of all the voices.